Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 298. It's been a whirlwind over the last few weeks, recording episodes on the road, lots of driving, multiple hotels, frankly, an obscene amount of coffee. Finally, I'm back home, getting a quick reset, and then heading out of town again to the Big 12 Championships in Hutchison, Kansas. Normally, I would say that there's a lot of housekeeping items to tend to, but when you combine the Augusta National Women's Amateur, the Masters, the Terracotta Invitational, that's a lot to get to. So I'm not going to tackle all of those things right now because I want to jump into this episode as quickly as possible. That being said, I'd like to congratulate Rose Zhang for winning the Augusta National Women's Amateur, Sam Bennett on his performance at the Masters that earned him low amateur honors, and I just got back from Naples National, where Quentin DeBove from the University of Florida won the Terracotta Invitational. I'll have much more to discuss regarding my two weeks in Augusta, but I'll get to that at a later time. In the meantime, remember that every episode is available for download at thebackoftherange.com. And if you haven't watched the documentary that The Back of the Range produced last summer at the U.S. Amateur, another episode has been released on YouTube. There are three available for you to watch now. So again, head over to thebackoftherange.com. That's where you find the podcast episodes, the documentary. Merch is still available. So there's hats and hoodies. You name it, it's there. Head to thebackoftherange.com. My guest on this episode of The Back of the Range is Ross Steelman from Georgia Tech University. Ross is heading into the postseason with the Yellow Jackets, looking to capture an ACC championship at the Country Club of North Carolina. Steelman is a Columbia, Missouri native and arrived at Georgia Tech after a successful run at Missouri. We spoke shortly after the Linger Longer Invitational last month. We discussed his start in the game, how he approaches staying in the moment during tournaments, and what awaits him after college. This is a highly entertaining episode. Not going to lie, we had a bunch of fun, and considering the fact that I'm a Kansas guy and Ross is a Missouri guy, this could have gone sideways pretty fast. All jokes aside, Ross has always been a big supporter of the back of the range. This episode was long overdue. Let's jump right into it. Ross, you're at the back of the range. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me, Ben. I'm great. Um, 78 and sunny here in Atlanta today. Uh, great day to be a college golfer. How are you? Uh, I'm Wow, geez, that sounds very professional. You uh, Well, you've been in college <laughs> a while. Now, let's talk about this weather stuff. You know, we both just got out of Linger Longer Invitational in, uh, in Eatonton, Georgia, about two hours away from Atlanta. You're obviously at Georgia Tech. So, I mean, this is home state stuff. But we just dealt with like 32 degrees mornings at on Lake Oconee with the wind whipping. And then, of course, as soon as we leave, as soon as the tournament's over, it's back to like 75 degrees. Is that possibly one of the most annoying things about, about golf? Uh, yes, very much so. Um, 
Yeah, the the cold weather just kind of seems to be following us around this semester. Yeah, or just crazy weather. We went out to Hawaii and just got pounded by the wind. Then went to Vegas, and the week we're there, it's just absolutely freezing. And then uh, head down to Oconee, which is usually, you know, like you said, eighty degrees and sunny. Yeah, and I'm wearing four layers to start the first round. So yeah, no, not ideal, but. Uh, plenty of hand warmers and gloves were used out there. Yeah, you became a meme on the back of the range Instagram page with that face <laughs> of just like, yeah, this is what it looks like when it's 36 degrees in the morning. Now, the, the Hawaii tournament you mentioned, um, that tournament was canceled. So you fly all the way from Atlanta to Hawaii to go play a golf tournament, and I think the winds were 60, 70, and just it did not stop, so they canceled the tournament. What does a college golf team do for like a week when, I mean, I guess this is like a vacation. I mean, but it seems it had to have been a little bit stupid and frustrating when you go all the way. I mean, it's nobody's fault, but you go all the way out there and I mean, you really can't do anything other. I mean, what do you do? I don't really know. We kind of turned it into a vacation. Um, you know, when it's blowing 60 in your face, you try to hit some pretty cool shots out there. So that was the fun part about it was just going out and just messing around out on the course and hitting driving 430 yard holes. Like it's nothing and, you know, just messing around, but it was, it was a very, very nice vacation. All expenses paid for uh, by Georgia tech. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, Yes. But no, I was, I was not complaining about it being canceled when we got up to the, eighth green and the balls were blowing 30 yards back into a bunker in the fairway. Um, yeah. I've got a video. I, I dropped a ball on the back edge of a green and it blew 20 yards off the front of it. So mm-hmm. at that point it was kind of turning into, yeah, let's, let's just have a little fun out here. Um, so it wasn't too bad. It was, it was a very nice warm place to have a golf tournament canceled. Yeah, that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, but uh, no, it did not suck. No, it's it's if you're going to have a tournament canceled and you got to be stuck someplace, it's Hawaii is is the way to go. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it could have been PGA West at the Prestige because you saw what happened out there, right? I I did see what happened out there, yeah. and I'd I'd much rather be on the beaches of Hawaii than in the desert. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was at that tournament last year when they had a, a stoppage due to the, the sandstorm caused by wind. And um, yeah, somehow that tournament did not find its way on my schedule this year. I don't know how that <laughs> happened, but it just, for some reason, I was like, boys, I'll see you when you come back east. Uh, I'll just, yeah, you know, I, I can't blame you on that one. Cannot blame you. Yeah, I, I, I want to make sure we talk about your start in the game. I also want to um, make sure people understand how great of a person I am because I am a Kansas Jayhawk and I have a <laughs> University of Missouri Tiger on my podcast, which is... I'm growing as a person, and uh, it's really I'm, big of you. I'm, it's really I'm, big of you. I'm accepting of other people's faults. I understand that there are people <laughs> that aren't Jayhawk fans. I worry about you, but it's going to be okay. Um, Columbia, Missouri native. I mean, you grow up. I mean, as as I was a kid wearing the crimson and blue, you were a kid just you know wearing whatever Missouri Tigers wear. I mean, how early did your love of that university start? Honestly, from birth. Um, okay. You know, I, I, if you cut me, I bleed black and gold, always have, always will. Okay. Um, 
I know you're well aware of the colors. You just chose not to say them. Well, um, well played. Yeah, I'm not allowed to say <laughs> stuff like that, but you can say it. I mean, it's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I actually grew up, my grandparents owned a bed and breakfast uh, on the university campus. Okay. So I would, my parents would take care of that while they were traveling. So I, I kind of grew up half on campus. Um, my aunt and uncle were the head and head assistant women's volleyball coaches for 20 plus years uh, while I was growing up. So I'd just be, I'd grow up in and around the basketball stadium, just kind of going in people's offices, messing around with them. Um, I was around all the athletes all the time. And, you know, it just, it's kind of a, as you know, having gone to Kansas, it's kind of a way of life in a small town, um, university town in the Midwest. Uh, So it was something that really since I was a kid, I always wanted to go to the University of Missouri. I actually wanted to play basketball, believe it or not, until I was uh, probably in high school. Most most kids don't dream of being golfers. They dream of being basketballs or football players. Um, Sure. But I quickly realized that athleticism uh, had passed me by when (laughs) – I was in seventh grade trying to touch the net and some of my teammates were dunking. Uh, right. I, I figured that it might be time to get good at golf instead of basketball, but no, the, the university of Missouri was incredible and kind of my love for golf stemmed at the university course in Columbia. I'd play and practice out there and see the Mizzou guys on the team and just really want to be like them when I got older. Well, you end up going to the University of Missouri, obviously. That's where you started your collegiate golf career. I know you're at Georgia Tech now, and we're talking about height. You're six foot five. We will we will get into that a little bit later. But um, you are currently the number twenty fourth ranked amateur in the world. And did, did you see that happening when you started your golf journey at Perchy Creek in Columbia? Which I might <laughs> add, not only is uh, is do they have an eighteen hole par three course. But most importantly, they have batting cages. They have yep. a miniature golf course, and there's the yep. snack bar, and there's the oh, go, yeah. the go kart track, and yep. um, this is like this is kind of like the dream start. Like when I see players start at places like this, I get really excited because you know we we talk a lot of, obviously about amateur golf and college golf on this podcast, and. Um, you literally went to a golf amusement park to start your journey. Yeah, I did. Um, so what's the perfect day for like, you know, 11 year old Ross Steelman, what's the perfect day? Oh man. So I'd get out and this is, this is taking me down memory lane for 11 year old Ross in the summer. Usually I'd have, my dad would usually take me out there at, say maybe seven in the morning and I'd go help my swing coach and his dad handpick the range. Um, I met my swing coach that I still work with. His name's Jake Poe and his father, Rich, who was the assist or not the assistant. He was the head head coach at the university of Missouri for years and years. And Jake actually played at Stanford on the team with tiger. Um, So I'd go help them pick the range and then come inside. Jake would usually give me a Gatorade for helping. And then seems fair. The summer, 
the summers in Missouri kind of turn into a swamp. And yes. so I'd, I'd get out, play the par three course. Uh, greens were about the size of a thumbtack, all, every, every single one of them. So kind of made you learn how to hit wedges from a young age and kind of real specific targets. And then, you know, that'd take me an hour or two and then I'd go hit balls and then, Probably if it was a slow day in the afternoon, I'd go mess around on the uh, miniature golf course. Who I, me and Jake were talking about this the other day. They might have been the fastest greens ever recorded on the planet. They probably rolled at about a thirty-five by the time I was ten, eleven years old. They were just, just essentially concrete. Yeah, just green painted <laughs> concrete. Yeah, I, exactly. Those are great. I've played those before. They're 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 fantastic. Yeah, and so. And then I'd spend the afternoon just probably driving everybody in the little golf shop crazy. Um, I was a big fan of the used club bins. Oh, um, God. <laughs> I, <laughs> they had uh, usually four or five bins of used clubs that were just full. And that's how I kind of supplied my golf game until I was maybe, I think I was... 13 before I got my first new golf club. Um, and so I just scoured through those all day to try and find a cool wedge or a set of irons with graphite shafts in them. And, uh, yeah, just drive them crazy until my dad would come and pick me up in the evening and, and do it all again the next day. That's a, that's a great day. I mean, that, that's the perfect environment. Now, Jake Poe, you mentioned, is your, is your, who you're talking about, is your swing coach. Still your coach yeah. this day, right? Yep, still my coach. Man, um, gosh, the things that he's seen and the things. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and also, like, so when did you, do you remember kind of when you hit your growth spurt? Because, I mean, 6'5", that, you know, I'm 6'4", I'm 6'5", six, six, it doesn't, that's not exactly the best thing for golf because there's just, the, the levers are just, a little too too long and there's just oh, a, was, there's a lot of time for things to go wrong i guess that's the best way yeah. to describe it yeah it was horrible for golf i remember so i was five eight or five ten during eighth grade and then from this time school got out in may of eighth grade until it started in august of ninth grade i grew from five ten to six three over that summer um <laughs> So I showed up in high school about five inches taller and my voice had dropped about an octave and a half. So I had a couple people not recognize me or understand me, uh, for a couple days, but so no, that was, that was not a particularly fun summer, uh, playing golf. It led to a lot of errant shots and, uh, snap hooks out of bounds, which was awesome. Yeah. Because your body just, your brain and your body are just not even on the same planet. No, not even close. Not, not even in the same galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you do have a great high school career. You win a state championship in 19, in 2018. I mean, this is a uh, rock bridge and this is again, right. You know, you're, you're a Columbia guy. Um, you know, you, you didn't like the world. You're not one of these top ten AJGA, you know, you know, kids coming out of high school. But you have a really solid junior career. Were you even? I mean, were you playing hard to get at all, or were you trying to do whatever you could to get to Missouri? I I was not playing hard to get. You know, I committed in I want to say really early, 
it, I think February of either my freshman or sophomore year of high school. Um, so I, I kind of telescoped that decision from a long way away. Yeah. I did not want to go anywhere else. Um, and part of that too was, it was, it was home. And, sure. you know, I talked earlier about always having been a fan of the university and it was just something that I played at the university course. So the coaches could talk to me because that was on campus. Right. And so I remember the first time one of the coaches came and talked to me, I was 10 years old on the putting green and he said, Hey, we just wanted to know that we're looking at you for whenever you're getting ready to go to college. And I was like, 10 years old. I was like, sign me up. That sounds awesome. But yeah, it was, it was a very easy decision for me. And I, I genuinely believe that it was the right place for me to start uh, my college career. You know, we've talked about this. You're, you have this great junior career and, and you're a hometown kid and you go there and you do well. I mean, you have two years at Missouri, you pick up two wins, you're, you're, um, second team second team sec and honorable mention all america i mean you, you have two great years and then you transfer to georgia tech so i mean the transfer portal is obviously a thing in college golf there are a lot of reasons why people will transfer um you know maybe there's uh, you know an issue with teammates or um you know just you're not getting the playing time there's a better opportunity someplace else i mean these things don't sound like it applies to you and again, also, you know, it's not like you started in Missouri, you know, started your career, you know, at uh, in, in Nevada or in Georgia. And, and I mean, this is your hometown school. That had to have been a kind of a tough decision to transfer away yeah. from Missouri. Yeah, you know, it really was. It, and especially having so many great friends and mentors and people who have really helped me out throughout my career that are still in Columbia and it was a really tough decision and to all of those people there, I have nothing but immense gratitude um, towards and for all the support that they've lent me. Um, but, you know, it was really, my decision to transfer was not one of animosity towards anything university of Missouri related. It was right. purely for a, what I thought was in the best interest of my own golf game and improving in my aspirations to play high level collegiate and professional golf after college, um, yeah. which I, I, I think I found really well at Georgia tech. Yeah. And that's something that most people are not realize, or some people may not realize when they think of college golf, like you, for you to kind of get into line for the opportunity to, you know, get get sponsor exemptions or also climb the ladder in PG Tour U, you have to play in high-level collegiate tournaments because it's based a lot on strength of field. So you you yeah. have to go play in stuff that where you're playing against, like, hey, we just got back from Linger Longer, and you have, you know, you got Vanderbilt in there, their top team in the country, and you have Bama, right. and you have Georgia, and you, you know, you have to be surrounded by these teams with the players so that I'm guessing, so that fell into your decision where, of of going to Georgia Tech, or at least it was part of it. I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of going going with that, you know, my freshman year was obviously cut short with COVID, um, and the pandemic that ensued, and then it, that that pandemic was kind of a good, cautiously a good thing for me and my golf game because I had time to really practice and work on some stuff that I needed to change and fix. And then 
you know, that next year being at Mizzou in the SEC, we played essentially eight SEC championships that year. And just being able to see all the good teams and good players that I was around that we were playing with and, you know, really throw my hat in the ring and compete with them gave me some confidence in transferring and saying, hey, you know, I can do this um, and can compete with these guys weekly. And, you know, just being able to come to Georgia Tech and kind of continue that mindset of, you know, I, I can do this and it, I am getting better and competing with these guys and, you know, being able to see them more frequently and, and making really good friends with guys that I'm competing with has been something that's really been an awesome opportunity. One of the things about Georgia Tech that I, I find fascinating is um, there's, I think you can see on social media, you know, the top 10 or top five college golf practice facilities. And, you know, they're, all these places are decked out with, you know, the, you know every every gadget you can imagine, you know, the, the Sam putting labs and the, you know, there's there's track bands everywhere and, and just all right. these great things. One of the things I find so interesting about the facility you have there, Georgia Tech, is it's right on campus. And if you look at the aerial photos of this facility, it looks like it's sandwiched in between a bunch of apartment buildings, and it fits perfectly. And and it's it's really interesting to look at. When you saw that for the first time, what were your thoughts looking at that facility? I well, the, my first thought was, man, I'm going to hit, I'm going right. to hit these buildings yes. every time I'm on the driving range and I, I to I, I have hit the buildings that are just <laughs> off the driving range many many times um thankfully no windows have been shattered yet knock on wood but yeah it's it's a wild thing to look at when you see it on an aerial view and I mean you look and they pan out and all of a sudden there's the skyline of the city of Atlanta just on the other side of the highway yeah and it's wild. Like being right in the city, there are cars honking and blaring horns and people screaming right outside it. But it's kind of our own little oasis to get away from everything. It's, it's really cool and really wild. So you, you go to Georgia Tech. What is that process of, is it, is it talking to, to Coach Hepler and Coach Stanton? Is it uh, you know, looking at multiple universities, what made you decide other than obviously their schedule, obviously their facility, but there are other teams that, that have that as well. What, what, uh, what made your decision uh, solid to, to the point where you're going to go to Georgia Tech? Well, you know, coming from. Oh, I know I it's up. the same color. It's the same color. That's it. Right. <laughs> no. Okay. Sorry. That, that was not it. Okay, um, gotcha. Believe it or not. But coming from my background of my parents both being teachers education is something that is very important to me and my family and as i speak to you as a graduating fourth year senior with the extreme case of senioritis it is not as important as it might have been a couple of years ago i'm picking up what you're putting um, down i got you uh but i i do really appreciate the uh value that coach Hepler puts on both academics and athletics um, and having that kind of mindset of, Hey, you're going to need to work at something other than golf as well. And he really preaches to us that that's a skill that's going to take us far in life. And honestly, in the middle of it, it kind of sucks. Um, but it's, it's something that's going to, it's going to be good down the line. And then, other aspects of Georgia Tech that 
were really enticing was the city of Atlanta being in a big city coming from a small town in the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, just a completely different environment than what I grew up in and what I was accustomed to. And I kind of wanted to push the boundaries of what I knew to be reality at the time and really get out and see some different parts of the world. And that's been a really cool experience uh, minus sitting in traffic sometimes, but uh, on the, on the overall, it's been a really good experience being in Atlanta and getting kind of a different view of the world. Yeah, I think that's, and it's probably going to help you when you do make that jump to the professional ranks, because again, not only are you traveling um, more, but you're going to be around different people more, and you're going to be going in and out of cities and, and trying to navigate that part of your life. And right. uh, yeah, so that's probably, that's a smart move. When you, and also the thing too about Georgia Tech, all the history, uh, I mean, gosh, Bob, you must see just pictures and paintings of Bobby Jones left and right all day long. Oh, it's unbelievable. I completely forgot. Just And another reason of coming to Georgia Tech was all the the past players that have had success on the PGA Tour, European Tour, Corn Ferry Tour. I mean, any tour that you look at that there's having a professional event just about, there's a Georgia Tech alum playing on it and playing well. But yeah, Mr. Jones is everywhere here in Atlanta. Like, when we play at Eastlake, there's an entire room dedicated to him, and it's got all his trophies that he won in the clubhouse, and yeah, it's unbelievable. It's just all over the place. Best uh, team photo I think I've ever seen, or it's at least in the top three, is is on your website. Um, the entire team is surrounded by a, looks like it's a, a, a car from the 30s or 40s. You got Connor Howell, your captain, in the driver's seat. You got Bartley riding, uh, riding shotgun, I think. Uh, another one of your seniors. And you know where I'm going with this because you're laughing nervously. Yes, I am going to go right where you think I'm going. You're the only one in the picture wearing a bow tie. Have you yep. Have you gotten away from that yet? Has someone tackled you and sat you down and had an intervention, or are you still a fan of the bow tie? Oh, no, I'm, I'm going strong with the bow tie. Oh, God. I, oh. A, I don't know how to tie a regular tie. But there are I people that can teach you that. You can, you can sling a, a seven iron around a tree, but you can't, tie, you can't tie a tie, is what you're saying. Exactly, and mm. I'm stubborn, and so I'm not, I'm not going to learn just so I have a reason to wear them. Okay. Um, you know, I I kind of like being rebellious sometimes and standing out a little bit. Yeah, uh, know, as know. as you've come to know me, you probably realize that. But, I understand. <laughs> but no, I I don't know. I think they're cool. They're different. Um, and I've got about twenty different colors of them, so I can oh. I can whip out about any color combination you need. Oh, so you're you're fully in. Oh, I'm fully in. Yeah, I'm committed. I'm we're so far the train is moving and it's not slowing down. Okay. All right. So no one has has had the the sit down and the talk and it's just never happened. Well, it's been attempted and I've said no thank you. Okay. Um, but it the funny thing is in the office at uh our facility at the football stadium, coach has a framed uh picture with every all-American on it with our headshot with uh kind of from the website with our suit and tie sure. and there's i don't know there's probably 75 all-americans in program history and there's one 
picture in the office that has a bow tie in it and that's that's me so i'll always have a little piece of georgia tech history carved out as being the only only one with a bow tie in their picture you know you could just go win a usam like uh strafacci and ogletree and jones did but or you can just I, be a guy with where's the bow tie i mean it's it's your choice yeah well you know sometimes sometimes bow ties are remembered uh via pictures a little longer no they're definitely not but yeah i, I wouldn't mind winning an amateur as well yeah and and i you were so you were in the quarters in 2021 at Oakmont, and this was the summer heading into right before your first year at Georgia Tech. So they know you're coming, um, yep. and that's your announcement to your teammates and your coaches of, yeah, this is probably a good idea. You you make a run where you could be. I guess you could have been technically considered the third. Georgia Tech player in a row to win the USAM if you pulled that off. I mean, I don't know if you'd had started taking classes yet, but but yeah, that's how it was kind of being portrayed. Did you have anyone reaching out to you as you progressed towards towards the semis uh, of that championship saying, dude, like what? Uh, I mean, there had to have been some people reaching out to you from Georgia Tech saying, yeah, th- this looks like it's going to work. You can come join the team. This is great. <laughs> um, well, I had moved in. I had moved to Atlanta earlier that summer and started taking classes. So okay, so you were, you were you were a yellow jacket. Okay, so you were. I was a yellow jacket. I was a student and hashtag student athlete. Um, wow. But <laughs> but no, I I think that was uh, I I hope that was a solidifying moment that in coach's mind that he had made a he had made a good decision allowing his first taking in his first transfer. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think anyone minded the good play at the end that was on the team for sure. So when you're getting to, you are, uh, you know, successful in match play, you are, um, successful in, in just in, in amateur golf. I mean, gr- great performance in, in a lot of tournaments, uh, in that summer schedule, but as you progress in match play at a U.S. amateur, you're one match away of getting into that spot where you know what's on the line. How much does that weigh on you? And I'm not just talking about that year, but in other USAMs and other tournaments, how hard is it to kind of stay in the present and not think about what's next? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, when I'm on the golf course, I do a pretty good job of just kind of blanking out, not really thinking about anything. Um, it my it drives my assistant coach Stanton crazy. He'll come up to me and ask me how I'm playing. I'm like, I don't know. I, I think pretty good. He's like, well, what are you at? I'm like, nah, I don't know. He's like, you know what you're at. I said, no, I, I really don't. I just, I just kind of play and then add them up at the end. Okay. But you know, at the, at the USAM that summer, it, I, I had a buddy from home caddying for me, uh, Walker Kesterson who played on the team with me at Mizzou, his fifth year in my sophomore year. And, we were just, I mean, I, at that point, I wasn't really supposed to be there. I was just kind of uh, this incoming junior at Georgia Tech that was decent and nobody really knew who I was. And so we were just trying to go have fun. And uh, it's kind of hard to have fun when you're getting your brain speed in at Oakmont. But, yeah, you know, it was, it, I think I do a pretty good job of just kind of, saying you know what if i play well in any 
something good's going to happen. And if I don't play well, I get to wake up tomorrow and go play golf again. Um, so that's kind of the mindset that I try to have and just not really get too ahead of myself. Obviously, when you're teeing off at Oakmont and the Havemeyer Trophy's on the first tee with you, you get a little extra anxiety. Um, it's nice that they do that, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's great. You know, you'd stand in there, OB up the right, and I nearly took Bones' head off on nine fairway about four days in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that was good. I got real nicely acquainted with him as I'd come apologize for almost killing him. Um, like, you again, thanks. Yeah, I think he said that at one point, like, oh, you again, Ross. He's like, you're going to stop killing me? I'm like, well, probably not. Yeah, um, yeah. there's a lot of room left at Oakmont off the first tee, and there's nothing right. So, yeah, I'm just going uh, yeah. to be just aiming left so I can just get this ball in play. That's fine. Yeah, no, I told him, I said, if you want to be safe, just stand on the stand in the middle of number one fairway because I am not going to hit you if you're standing there. Yeah. A lot of guys actually <laughs> took that line. A lot of guys, it, I mean, a lot of guys were just aiming for that fairway because you could just bomb it as far as you want and you'd probably end up in the fairway. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, at, in hindsight, I, you know, if I'd have been, if I'd have really been thinking about it, I'd have probably gone back and taken some of the, alternative lines off the tees but i was i was playing it down most of the true fairways and trying to play it that way but there was you know thinking about it now there was a pretty significant advantage if you were to take it down nine fairway um on 11 guys were taking it down 10 to have a shorter shot on 14 taking it yeah 14 taking it kind of down 12 the par five coming back but yeah no it there was definitely opportunity to make it easier off the tee yeah it's a um it's so funny when i talk to guys and they get to that point in that championship and it's just everything kind of changes because it's just okay now this is getting real like you know the first two days you're literally just trying to survive to get through stroke play because nobody wants to go home tuesday and right, you just, no, that's you, no fun. Yeah, you just want to get to match play, and you know, there's there's maybe you know, you just said it yourself. You're coming in there, thing you're not supposed to be there, and you're just coming in. But there's so many guys that that are just like, I I just want to get to match play and just be in the moment and be in the arena, so to speak. And then once things start getting a little bit more real and serious, everything changes. Yeah. Well, I remember it was it was that quarterfinal match that walking down the first fairway, um. I was probably 10, 15 yards ahead of Walker and he yelled at me and said, Hey, slow down, come get, come get a water bottle or something. And I turned around and there were about 150 people just marching down the fairway. And, you know, you see that and you're kind of like a cartoon, your stomach comes up into your throat and you kind of gulp for a second. But, you know, it was, it was, I didn't, I tried not to think of it as like a, a hindrance, but as, and try to say to myself, you know, this is so cool. Like going back to what we were talking about as the 11 year old playing at the par three course at Perchy Creek in Columbia, Missouri to playing in the quarterfinals of a U.S. amateur at Oakmont, like 11 year old Ross would have given anything to be in this moment. And yeah. that's something that sometimes I have to remind myself to stop and think about. Um, because it's just it's so cool and such a unique experience that so few people get to experience um it's just it's it's really cool 
Now, you mentioned something just a little while ago that I kind of find interesting. You don't really pay attention or think about where you're at during the course of a stroke play round, whether you're one over, one under, three under, whatever. You're saying that you're not paying attention to that. Now, you have a history of dropping some pretty low rounds. I mean, you shot a 62 at Dogwood in 2021. You just shot 64 to close out the Linger Longer last week which uh, got you into the top 10. Um, yep. I think there's a 62 from junior golf somewhere in there in Missouri. Um, you know, there's a bunch of these numbers. And this is something that I kind of feel like every true player really has to have. They have to have that ability to go low, but also not allow yourself to question yourself in the moment. Why am I going low and how do I keep doing this? So you right. kind of already answered the question. But I mean, how do you do that? To, or have is it just something natural that you've always that you've always done? How do you go, you know, kind of, you know, let the brain fog roll over a little bit, and then you just count it up in the end? How do you get? How did that start with you? I think I do know how it started. So when no, I don't know how it started. Um, so well, let's see. I don't know. I just kind of. I don't know. I just kind of lose track of reality out on the golf course. Like I, I don't know. I just start, like if I start playing well, I just kind of, I don't know. I just keep, keep doing it. That sounds extremely just vague and like nonspecific, but I just, I get, I get out there and start hitting shots and just kind of forget what's going on and just, Honestly, it's just aim, fire, go find it, and don't really care about what else happens. Um, so match play then, I'm if I'm listening to that, and I'm thinking that match play is probably harder for you because you you kind of know that at the end of each hole, there is a something has changed in the score. It's one-on-one. And so is match play difficult, a little bit more difficult for you? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it kind of and in the sense that i always i to this point in my match play career i've really caught guys that catch a heater while i'm playing against them which is just awesome to play against yeah um but no i kind of i honestly lose track of what the match is at so if i have a caddy i just at some point i look at him and say hey our what's going on um <laughs> i'm sorry uh, i'm um, sorry I, I i'm i'm not i was laughing at something else i wasn't laughing at what you're saying that's that's not it's not what i was doing okay so, but um it's like what's going on well we're at lunch now because we lost six and five so it's not going well <laughs> um well i did have that conversation with walker at the usm this summer i the second round of stroke play was at Ridgewood and on 18, I thought I was, I think I thought I was five over on the day and I was kind of mad after hitting my tee shot. And he's like, what, what's, what's your problem? I'm like, man, I'm going to miss the cut by like four. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm five over, man. He's like, no, you're one. I'm like, Oh really? He's like, yeah. So he goes, just, just, keep going i'm like oh okay but no i i have a i have a really bad tendency of uh getting down big early in match play and then just kind of just 
keeping going until the last whistle. Um, but I don't know. I just kind of, I just try to, I just try to go and then I just try to hit shots and see what happens. I, I don't really get too caught up in winning a hole, losing a hole. Um, that it's just, it's whacking a little white ball in a hole. It's yeah. a long way away. Does, um, does anyone, do you, you don't drive to the course yourself, do you? You have someone take you there, right? Because it just sounds uh, like you're not even on the same planet right now. I mean, I'm just, I'm literally concerned for your safety at some of these times. Like, you have people with you at all times, right? I mean, I, I think so. Oh. <laughs> like for college tournaments? Just in general, man, I'm just a little bit concerned. I mean, it just sounds like, I don't know, I show up, I hit the ball, and then I sign a card. Have you ever signed for a wrong card? Now, here's a whole other angle we're going into. There's no way you're getting all the numbers right. There's no way. Well, I have, I have signed for a wrong card before. Um, uh-huh. So now I, I signed for a wrong one. Thankfully, a higher score when I was like 11. Okay. I signed for two higher than I actually shot. Perfect. Yeah, that um, makes sense. That's exactly. Yeah, what, that's exactly what I was expecting you to say. You yeah, because I, yeah. I didn't. I didn't check any of the scores that were written down. I just signed the card and turned it in. Um, so now I have to. Now I have to check. Like I, you know how we've got the little tear strips on the top of scorecards. Yeah. I, I cross. I cross each number off. So there's 18 of them. And I go the other direction, and then I go back through it regularly again. Um, so I have to I have to check three times uh, just to make sure it's right. I often have to like I forget to write scores down. Like I write my playing partners down, but I kind of forget to write my own down. So I usually on nine or eighteen have to go through the whole nine real quick and add them up. Um, but yeah, no, it I I could probably be a little better at paying attention to what's going on but it kind of works at this point so i just kind of space out out there yeah there's people listening to this podcast right now thinking i don't i don't know like i i don't know if this guy can function well and and like does he even go to class and oh by the way you're a history technology and society major and you're academic uh i believe academic all-american yeah, two times. Yeah, two, yeah, of course. So there's just a re- so basically, you get on the golf course, you put shoes on, and the brain just just you leave that in the car, and then yeah. somebody yeah. makes sure that you get back in the car at the end of the day. That's correct. All right, yeah, got it. Um, okay, perfect. That's I like about how it goes. Okay, all right, but it but it works. So you're you're naturally blessed with the ability to just kind of you know just phase out, and that's what most golfers are trying to get to. And you just naturally yeah. have the ability to, yeah. Don't change. Don't don't change that. Just keep that going. That's a good. That, yeah. That's a good way to do things. It it kind of works. I'm just gonna. I'll I'll try and I'll try and stick with it. The um, I think this was at last year's national championship in Greyhawk, or maybe two years ago. I'm not entirely sure. It doesn't really matter for this part of the story. But I think I'm walking behind the Georgia Tech team. Bartley Forrester, mm-hmm. six foot five. Benjamin Reuter, six foot three. Christo Lambrecht, six foot eight. You're six five. Your captain, yep. Connor Howe, is the is is the the petite one at six two. Um, yep. Is has anyone said anything remotely funny or creative about the fact that the golf team looks like the Georgia Tech basketball team? 
No. Okay. It, I mean, not not at all. Okay. It, so there, so there's no reason for me to try. How bad is the travel situation? <laughs> like, are there fights over the aisle seats on planes? Like, how do you guys travel and not be completely miserable? You know, Coach is very generous, and we fly. You know, Georgia Tech's got a partnership with Delta, being Delta being right. based in Atlanta. Um, so. Coach gets Comfort Plus seats for us all on twice, nice. um, which doesn't suck. So yeah. there, there's really no fights over middle seats. Um, it, I could, I could sit about anywhere on an airplane. I usually fall asleep before they take off and wake up after they land. Of course, um, of course. Yeah, yes. yeah. kind of going with the going with the space cadet theme mm-hmm. of today. Um, but yeah, no. There are some rental cars that get a little tight in the legroom from time to time, but uh, for the most part, I mean, it's the most annoying part of traveling. I don't want to say annoying, but most repetitive part of traveling is people asking if we do play basketball yes. as we're wearing shirts that say Georgia Tech golf with backpacks that say Georgia Tech golf. But yes. Yeah, no, it's it's not an original question at this yeah. point. Yeah, no, I I wasn't really posing it at a question, but I do distinctly remember walking behind you guys, and I'm just kind of I think I'm looking at my phone, and then I look up, and I'm just <laughs> completely behind a wall, and I'm like, I'm like they're all cyborgs. It's like they're this they're, yeah. they just built them in a library or in in a in a, yeah. uh, in, a, in, a in a you know in a factory or something. Yeah, no, coach and coach and Devin like to like to recruit guys that uh, fit a particular mold and most of us do that pretty well well i I mean yeah there's nothing really creative to say about the height thing uh but but i just find it uh, i just remember that from national championship like gosh these guys are monsters um so you have a lot of stuff coming up this year this is a very intriguing year for you and for a lot of guys that are kind of in the same spot you are um you know off this top 10 at Linker Longer, your PGA Tour U is kind of ramping up to, uh, I believe, I think you're what, 12, 11, somewhere in that neighborhood right now on PGA Tour U? I, I want to say I'm eight right now. Eight? That, me... that could be wrong, but... You, I... you right now are at... Yes, sir. Eight. You are eighth in PGA Tour eight. U. Okay. So you're within the... Um, you're within the the, the top uh, twenty where you're getting going to get some type of card. Um, you're also you were at the Walker Cup practice sessions last December down in South Florida, where you're one of the the sixteen top American amateurs that um, that are in contention for or you know or at least on the short list to to get a spot on that Walker Cup team. So you have a lot of things on your plate that are in your future in some respect. You do have another year that you can take to come back to, to, to college golf and, and, you know, try and build up that ranking even more next year. There's the Walker Cup. You have all these things. So I think we've kind of covered this already, but how do you kind of compartmentalize and focus on taking care of your golf without thinking too much about the future? Because, Again, if you play well, you it paves a, a quicker way to the PGA Tour. If you play well, it gives you a better chance to make the Walker Cup team, which would postpone the PGA Tour you. Th- th- this is a lot for a normal person to think about, but for you, maybe this is nothing. Maybe this is just no big deal. <laughs> uh, no, it's definitely, it's definitely a, 
like a heavy weighs heavy on the mind yeah. of kind of everyday wondering, Oh, what am I, what am I ranked today? And how is that going to impact my decision coming up in a couple months? And I, it's, it's one that I get asked about almost every day. And I, I always say, I don't know what's, what I'm going to do. Um, and something that kind of, I've talked a lot about with Jake, my swing coach is he says, just, you know, the easiest way to make the decision as simple as possible is play good golf. Um, and that kind of takes care of everything. So that's really just been my mindset is just play as just prepare to play as well as I can. Um, that's been something that I really focus on is the preparation side. I think that's kind of what helps me zone out while I'm playing is just knowing that I've prepared properly. Um, and, and just go out and whack a ball around a field and try and hit it in a little hole as in as few strokes as possible. Um, and then at the end of the day, everything's going to kind of work itself out. You know, if I play really well the next three or four events that we've got and end up in that top six this year and garner corn fairy status, that's awesome. You know, if I, if I don't make it in the top six, then I've got the opportunity potentially to play in the Walker Cup at St. Andrews, which might be one of the coolest things ever. Um, it's, it's probably going to be at the old course. It's probably going to be a good time. It, I, you know, it. I don't think it would suck. There you um, go. That's that's just coming from you know thinking. That's my perspective. Probably not going to suck. Yeah. Um, you know, having a having kind of a final summer amateur series would kind of put a nice bow on my amateur career if I don't get corn fairy status via the PGA tour U, but you know, at the same time I could finish seventh and decide, you know what, I'm going to go play in Canada. Uh, you just, it, I, I, I have no idea yeah. simply put, but yeah. it's kind of fun. It gives me something to think about. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's great that there's so many other options available to you, but again, m- with more options, it just, it, it can cloud things, but, um, and then also there's that other thing that just because you're ranked something, does that necessarily mean that you're ready to go start your career as a professional golfer? And not at all. Like right. I could, I could play, I, uh, well, I could play great and then just decide, you know what? I don't think I'm ready to play professional golf and stay and stay amateur for a while. Yeah. Or I could be playing great and decide, you know, and, end up with status but say you know what i really want to play the walker cup um and obviously i'm not on that team yet but if i play really well i think i have a good chance um yeah. but you know it if that's some if that's the case then there's always q school in the fall and there's just so much it's it's kind of there's a lot to think about, but knowing that I've got another year to decide if that's what it comes down to is kind of a, a really a yeah. peaceful option is something that kind of I'm able to put my head down on the pillow and forget about it at night. Just knowing that, Hey, you know, this isn't the end all be all that if it, if it ends up working out awesome, if it doesn't cool, 
there's they're still next year yeah. um which i think is a unique position that i'm in that some people are not um yeah yeah we're kind of so coming it, to the end of the 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 covid the extra covid year classes yeah, yeah we're that's kind of yeah. we're getting to the end of that believe it or not it feels like uh, it's it's kind of hard to believe that that's the case but yeah we're getting close to the point where that is no longer a factor and um, it'll just be four years of eligibility I know it's it's wild to think about considering that it's been such a huge part of collegiate athletics for yeah. the last three years now. Um, but it'll be kind of nice to get back to a everybody's on the same time clock once again. I'm going to get you out of here. We've talked a lot about uh, uh, talked a lot about your your collegiate career and a lot about uh, amateur golf and feel like we've talked about a lot of topics. Uh, I, I told you before that we started the episode that I would have to talk a little bit about this past week. Uh, yeah. linger longer. Here we go. Here we go. Here we you, go. You started the tournament on the first tee at even par. You, oh, I started on the tenth tee at oh, Eden Park. Oh, here we go. Now we're correcting people. Now, all right, you started on the tenth <laughs> tee. Your first hole of the tournament, you were even par. You, yep. you after your fifty-fourth hole, you were even par. You you ended the exact same way you started, even par. Most people yep. would just assume there's maybe a seventy-two and a sixty-eight and a seventy-four or something like that. You went 80, 72, 64. Yes, I did. Okay. I'm the floor is yours. Can you walk me through how you go from signing for an 80 to getting yourself in a spot where you're like, okay, I, that's that's over, that's done with. Let's chip away at this. Um, the 72 is one thing and then the so can you just explain this? I'm 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 curious. Um yeah, so obviously signing for an 80 walked off the ninth green pretty hot under the collar um after making uh i think i bogeyed the last hole to shoot 80 i i spun a wedge shot back from in the rough downwind into the water so i was muttering under my breath about that spinning back in the water yeah um so then let's see the process to going about that i my parents were at the tournament so i signed for my card went and watched the rest of the guys finish behind me um went and decided you know what i've I've had enough golf ball whacking today went and sat in the car and talked to my parents for 30 minutes and then uh okay so here's another part of the story so i call it superstition, call it habit. I drink uh, ginger ale the night before every round, every competitive round of golf that I play. Um, I heard on, I, I heard a story about Arnold Palmer and Ben Hogan saying that it increases the feel in your hands. If you drink ginger the night before. Um, interesting. Okay. I was going to go with, it helps prevent cramps, but, uh, but, but that's interesting. Yeah. So I drink ginger ale the night before every competitive round that I play. Um, this last week I had a lot of school that I was trying to get done before going and completely forgot to pack it and then completely forgot about it until the morning of the first round. So that's what I'm blaming the 80 on is really? I didn't have any ginger ale. Wow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sticking with that story that it wasn't my fault. It was the fact that I didn't have ginger ale. So then I, my, my parents were ever so kind to get some, 
that night and then, you know, go and the next round I'm playing okay on the front. And then I decide to clink one off the wall, uh, the retaining wall on nine and make a triple. Um, I was, I was three under make a triple. No, that's not right. I was even make a triple go to three over and then kind of fight it on the back nine and managed to scrape a, a three under on the back and shoot even, you know, still not, still not real thrilled. Um, my swing coach, Jake had come down to watch. And so he's talking to me afterwards and, and then, you know, the next day I get out there and, uh, anytime I'm paired with Sherwood, it's one of my favorite days on the golf course. I, Cole, I love Sher- playing Cole golf. Sherwood Vanderbilt. Yeah. Yep. I, love playing with Cole and we've kind of started uh what we call strokes gained positivity uh while we're out there uh-huh. um, okay so our, our our goal was to just make sure we gain strokes that day with our attitude um because as we can as any golfers can get a little down and negative when things aren't going our way he can Sherwood can be a little pouty I've been around Sherwood enough he can be a little pouty um <laughs> It's it's I don't think I'm talking out of school here. I don't think I'm I'm breaking any any news. Uh I know I know Woody's listening. He can be a little salty. Cole, I didn't say that Ben did, just yeah. for the record. Uh, I, um, there is no record. I'm just saying it's he, he gets a little pouty. Well and I I will I will say that I can do the same. Yes. Um so when we play together are, and we've played together a bunch this last year and last summer. And so we've started our strokes game positivity. And on, I text, I, we see that we're going to be playing together the night before the final round. I text him and say, Hey, we're going to gain so many strokes positivity tomorrow. And he says, you for sure, you know it. Yeah. And so, you know, we get out there and, I hit the fairway on the first hole, have a perfect number with a wedge, hit it to a couple feet, and then just kind of just zone out from there. And, you know, four hours later, a couple balls in the trees later, a couple balls in the sand, a couple putts rolled in, and all of a sudden added up, and it's 64. So, you know, it golf's crazy. You can go from playing just terribly, nothing working, to one day to two days later having a good time with a, one of your best friends out there and it all kind of clicking and working pretty well. So it, I, I don't know how it happened, but I was just trying to go and, you know, I was really just trying. My mindset after the first round was, can we somehow get back to even par for the tournament? And oh, wow. Then, okay. So you, th- you were, you were thinking a little bit like that. And I was thinking, I was thinking a little bit. Um, I know shocking revelation. No, um, no, I, I'm, I'm no, this is fine. I'm sure you think about a lot of things. It's fine. Sure. <laughs> and then, so the second round I shoot even and I think, Oh great. This is, we're, we're looking really good getting back to even par here. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, just kind of black out for five hours and look up at the scoreboard and even par again. So yeah. Just simple, just like that. No, nothing to it. You ended the way you started. So um, I, I ended the way I started. Yes. 
Well, um, I'm glad that uh, I was able to get you to lock in mentally for a little while here during our conversation. <laughs> I know you're a big podcast guy. I know that was your your thing last uh, summer traveling. I'm, yep. I'm glad that uh, the back of the range has broken into the uh, you know into, into your collection of podcasts, and I'm glad you're here as a guest and. Uh, and yeah, the only way I think we can really end this episode is by, uh, you know, Rock Chuck Jayhawk. I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range, Ross. Oh, that's a, you know, I I can't condone the Rock Chalk, but I can say M-I-Z. And thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. This has been fun. And there you have it. Special thanks to Ross Steelman for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.